Perhaps you're like the young boy who was told by his teacher after enduring disobedient behavior. The teacher told the young boy to go sit in the corner, which the young boy defiantly went and sat in time out and said to his teacher, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. Nothing produces more anger and simultaneously despair than trying to parent children. Children have a unique ability to accelerate our frustrations, but also causing great discouragement in us as we want to give up. Parenting is hard. It is not easy. Many of us here today have been given by God that gift, raised children, seen grandchildren raised, and even great-grandchildren. This morning, I'm, of course, very young in this adventure that many of you have been doing for a lifetime. I remember as a young youth pastor growing frustrated with my parents because they felt as if this young kid, young pastor, would not understand what they were going through. And while I understand there's some truth to that, that, you know, you have to go through it yourself, frankly, it's honestly, we know how rebellious our own hearts are and how rebellious we've been to our own parents. So we pick it up pretty quickly. Parenting is hard. Being children is hard. Trying to honor our parents and thinking through how to do that, whether we are still in the home today or whether we've moved and perhaps our parents are still living and thinking through how can we honor them. Perhaps even this morning, regretful for the ways that we dishonored our parents or disobeyed them and never really had the opportunity to ask for forgiveness before the Lord took them home. It's difficult. My hope this morning is not to give you some sort of magic prescription that will fix your child or for children to somehow magically start obeying. Children are unique. Every child has its own unique demands. I have five different ones, completely, radically different. None of them the same. It would be great if they were all the same. It would make things a lot easier. But they're all different. All needing different care. Some more stern than others. Some you can't even yell at. They just break and melt right before your eyes. You raise your voice at them and they fall over dead. Others you have to scream at and they still stubbornly stand there, stare you down. Again, I give the same warning to us this morning and the same encouragement that I've given over the last few weeks. That when we get into these house codes, it's easy for us to say, okay, I don't have any kids. This has nothing to do with me. Or my kids are grown up and they're out of the house. Or perhaps this morning... I mean, I don't live at home anymore, so I guess I don't need to obey my parents anymore. I mean, I don't need to honor my parents. I mean, I'm an adult, after all. 
Well, again, these verses were written not to parents, not to, not to merely to children, right? This was written to a congregation. And so this morning, you may not have children, but you know what? God has called you to be a part of a family. You may, your children may have grown up and not be in this congregation, but, but I know so many of you act like spiritual moms and dads to even me. Uh, we know Paul told young Timothy to respect and to treat the young women in the church as sisters. And the older women in the church, he was to treat as mothers and fathers. And so we see in the life of the congregation, there is this relationship of a family. We're brothers and sisters, but we're also moms and dads to one another. So we want to have that in our minds as we're thinking about this. Paul here is giving us really specific application of what he's exhorted the whole church in chapter 5 in verse 21 when he wrote to them to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. A child obeying its parent or a parent, a father exercising authority over children, it is just basic application of chapter 5 verse 21. Submitting to one another out of fear or reverence to Christ. And so this morning, we're going to think about the relationship of the gospel and our homes. How the gospel isn't merely for our lives individually, but also in our, in our homes. And I just pray to that end that our, our lives would be about upholding family values. Upholding that family unit. As the bedrock of our society. Well, let's read here. I'm going to read in chapter 6. If you've not already made your way there, it's on page 979 in the Pew Bibles. 979. I'm going to be reading from chapter 6 and verse 1. This is what Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, what's Paul's point? The gospel transforms the relationships in our homes as children obey their parents and parents lead their children to follow the Lord. This is God's design. And so the purpose of our time this morning is to help inform our understanding of the relationship, the biblical relationship of children to parents and parents to children. We live in a culture where parents are taught to be their child's best friend. We live in a culture where children are taught that it's normal to rebel. It's even celebrated. Rebellion is celebrated. And so as Christians, we want to think about, well, what is God's plan for the home? What's the, the, the divine order of the home? And what should it look like? And how should we seek to, to offer the gospel in our homes? So Paul here addresses first children and then parents particularly fathers. And so that's really what we're going to think this morning. First, children, obey and honor your parents. Very clear, very simple, but very hard. Children, obey your parents. 
And then secondly, parents, and particularly fathers, lead your children to Jesus. Parents, and particularly fathers, are to lead their children to follow Jesus. Now to be clear, that doesn't mean they will, but at least they're to lead them in that way. Now before we begin, I want you to look at a couple observations before we dive into this. The first observation is that Paul addresses children. I want you to think about that for a minute. Paul addresses children, which implies that children were present in the gathering of the congregation. It implies that children perhaps had come to faith in Christ and repented of their sins and trust in him and were members of the church. It implies that that children's presence was important. There is something pedagogical, uh, something about teaching. There's something about children sitting next to mom and dad, watching them worship, watching them listen, watching them follow Jesus that is instructive and helpful for children. In a society that seeks to have professionals teach and train our children, right? We take and send them to the professionals. We, as parents, have given up not only teaching our children basic life skills, but also teaching them how to follow Jesus by letting the professionals do it, right? The children's pastors or the youth pastors or the children's workers. We've relegated to the church to teach them how to follow Christ rather than seeing that it's our primary responsibility to do so. We're going to think about that more in a minute. Secondly here is the fact that Paul addresses children, elevated them in a society that did not want them. It would be very common in a Roman culture for fathers to take their children down to the city dump if they didn't want them. It would have been very common for fathers to sell their children into slavery because they didn't want them. And as Christians, this passage teaches us by implication that children are to be important to us as Christians. That children are not less than, they're not like, you know, once you get older, then we'll deal with you. But rather, we are to value all ages of life. This is why we champion the training of children in our church and in our homes. We want to celebrate children. We want to see as like, oh, those noisy little kids in church. You know, we're trying to do church and they're just making all noise, rustling around and eating their candy and making noise and squirming in their seats. They're just in the way. According to the Apostle Paul, they weren't in the way. They were central to the life of the church. So those are two observations. Well, let's get into the text. First, children, obey and honor your parents. Look here at verses 1 through 3. Paul exhorts the, the children, Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. What does it mean to obey? 
What does it mean to obey? Well, it means to follow directions, to follow simple commands. To, to obey means that you do what's said, right? That you're subject to, that you follow a list of rules and instructions. It implies that your parents are actually giving you some instructions, doesn't it? It implies that there's some commands given. To follow a parent's advice, to follow a parent's uh, simple, basic instruction. Don't put your finger in the outlet. You will get shocked. Or, uh, you know, put your, tie your shoes or make your bed. So, so many simple ways, right, to obey is to follow instructions. This is the foundation of the Proverbs, isn't it? Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. We see also in the Proverbs that one who disobeys is one who is sentenced to death. In Proverbs 20, 20, if one curses his father and mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. In other words, for those who disobeyed their parents in the Old Testament, capital punishment was the the punishment that fit that crime. Death. It sees the sort of seriousness that for which God had with honoring one's parents. It wasn't something that was seen as sort of, uh, if we get to that command, we'll get to it, right? To obey, to, fo- to follow directions. We, we find that this is so simple, but so hard. As children, we wrestle because by nature we are sinners. And at the core of our sinful nature is one of rebellion against God and his good order. Children, when you struggle to obey your parents, it is because you are a sinner. It is because you need Jesus, the only one who perfectly obeyed his parent, the father. We need to understand that this is a sin issue, not a behavioral issue. You can try to modify your children's behavior all day long, but at the end of the day, what they need is Jesus, not for them to be well-behaved. You could have the most well-behaved children in all the world, quiet, listen to everything, and they'll still go to hell. Children, the clear exhortation of this passage is that you are to obey your parent. And notice here the connection between honor and obedience. When you disobey your parent, you are dishonoring them. You are undermining the authority that not is assumed, not a right that they have somehow earned, but as the Constitution of the United States, an inalienable right. A right given them by their creator, right? Rights that we have. And so Paul here offers you three reasons why you should obey your parents. Three reasons why even today we should be honoring our parents in our lives. Now to be clear, before we jump into these three reasons, some people have questioned, okay, well what age do we stop obeying our parents? Like when we move out of the house, do we, we just like don't have to obey them anymore? How does that work? Well, I think the Bible makes kind of clear that while the target here is children living in the home, 
you know, under, you know, so we're thinking like, you know, infant, grade school age, college age, they're in the home, right? That's the aim of this passage. We know that the broader teaching, as Jesus taught his disciples, that, that we're to honor our parents in all stages of life. Now, we may, may not obey, you know, like they may tell us, hey, we, I don't think you should take that job. And you say, you know, well, I'm going to take the job anyways, right? That's okay. Like that, right? But you're still honoring them. You're like, hey, I respect that opinion, but I'm an adult. I'm going to have to make this decision, right? To honor our parents. We live in a society that doesn't honor parents. And particularly older parents. In our society, we just push, you know, the elderly, get them out of our sight. We don't have to deal with them. I'm so thankful for the example of so many in our congregation who honor their parents, even in old age. By caring for them, by doing things that no one would ever want to have to do for their parent, like changing their clothes, but caring for them in that way. In those ways, you honor your parent. Well, Paul here again, let's look at these three reasons why briefly. First, because it's right. Notice what he writes there. Obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. It's very simple, isn't it? And straightforward. He, he doesn't really kind of mince words. It's just like it's the right thing to do. In other words, Paul here is appealing to natural law. There has never been a society, never been a culture, never been any form of of created culture that did not value a child's obedience to its parents. This is what makes our culture so strange in that we want to celebrate disobedience rather than obedience. It's right, he says. It's natural. This is a part of the natural order. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that those who disobey their parents have a debased mind. A mind that's corrupt. A mind that's severely broken. And so this morning, children, the, the basic exhortation to you is that it is the right thing to do. It's right. It's righteous. Secondly, here in the passage, he says this because God commands it. The second reason why you as a child should obey your parents is because of because God commands it. Because of the divine law. Here, Paul, of course, is quoting from that passage we we all read together. Deuteronomy and also from Exodus 20 in the, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. God commands it. You think about all the commands that God could have given Israel in those Ten Commandments. That he sticks that one in the middle there. Because it is the heart of our rebelliousness against him. God has commanded it. There's no way around it. You know, as children, we always come up with excuses we're the masters of explaining things away. Oh, I, you don't understand that so-and-so did this to me, and that's why I did that. But it's a clear command. God has exhorted children to obey. God commanded it. The third reason, look here in verse 3, because you will be rewarded. Because you will be rewarded. Notice here Paul says that, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Or live long on the earth. 
There, there is a reward with obeying your parents. Who likes to constantly be at war with somebody? What joy is there in that? I remember as a, as a teenager, God in his grace. I mean, I was very rebellious. And uh, particularly my stepfather and I, we would regularly go at it. Things flying and everything. It's fun. Good times. Uh, you know, dishes flying around. and I mean, just not good. Not good. I was a sinner and I needed Jesus. And Jesus was doing something in my life and he was changing my heart. And I remember one day, I just had this, like, light bulb. You know, life would probably be a lot easier and more joyful if I would just obey. If I, I mean, these commands are not hard and burdensome. These instructions like, you know, clean your room and make sure, you know, you come home at the right time and, you know, you don't say and smart off and those kind of, you know. And when I would do that, man, life was so good. You know, children, listen, it may seem good to rebel. There is some great reward, a promise here for you to claim. Uh, we know that children who, who live longer because they don't rebel. Now, now, again, this is this isn't a sort of like, OK, foolproof. If I'm always obedient, then I'm going to live forever. We know many good, obedient, respectful children who die young, right? But, but this is, again, uh, helping us inform our, our life, that, that it may go well, that, that we might have good relationships. Um, as Paul writes in Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, when you obey your parents, have that aim in mind, that it pleases the Lord, that it's pleasing to him. Parents, Parent your children with that aim in mind. That it's not merely about you getting what you want from your kids, but rather the pleasure that God is getting from obedient children. When your children honor you and, and show respect to you, point them to Jesus as the one who is being pleased in all that you do. The passage is so clear that we are to honor and obey our parents. We're not to disrespect them in the way we speak with them, the way that we talk to them. But we're to do what they say. We're to follow their instructions. They teach us. They give us instructions. We pray for our own good and not for our harm. Paul now turns his attention then to parents. Look there in verse 4. Parents. Or fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some translations translate that as parents. Most fathers. The word itself could be either or. It makes sense from verse 6 that he's talking to parents. Obey your parents. But Paul uses this word father here, I think particularly and pointed. Because fathers do have a particular role in the home to training and teaching their children. Though, sadly, some, maybe many fathers, do not follow this command. And so, moms, you've had to fill in that role. You've had to, you've had to do both duties. 
be father and mother to your child. But fathers, we see that we're not to provoke our children. Now, what does Paul mean? Do not provoke your children. Or in the old King James, do not exasperate your children to wrath. Do not exasperate them. Do not provoke them. One author writes this, do not provoke means excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Again, culturally, it would have been so simple for these fathers just to kind of beat up on their kids. In fact, in Roman culture, a father could execute their child and get away with it. Paul here points at fathers and he says, stop provoking your children to wrath. Stop putting excessive demands upon your children. Brother and sister, I wonder this morning, how are you provoking your children to anger by your harsh and hard punishment? Friends, I am guilty of this more than anyone, perhaps. And often having to reflect on my own discipline of my children, how hard it is. Well, you know the remedy to that is the gospel. Was God hard on you? Was he unfair with you? Well, was he demeaning to you and harsh with you when you couldn't, you little creature, just simply do some menial task that he gave you? I mean, we fail in everything. We, we mess everything up. But God is so patient with us. As parents, we need to develop a, a patient spirit, not a provoking spirit. We need to see our kids as sinners in need of Jesus Rather than little things that we're creating so that everybody thinks we're, we're really good parents. I think oftentimes we provoke our children because we're co- more concerned about our own reputation than we are about really training our children to follow Christ. I mean, let's be honest. When you're at the store and your kid's acting like, a, like a, someone who broke out of the insane asylum, what are you really more concerned about? People in the store looking at you like that? Look at that fool. He can't even get it right. He can't get his parent under control or his kid under control. Or are you really aiming at conforming their heart to follow Christ? I know myself. I'm more embarrassed, therefore angered by my own pride than my child's development in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know many of us have failed in this way. Perhaps we're putting unfair demands upon our children. One of the challenges I faced as a parent was having children of different ages spread out. When you're dealing with demands upon a 17-year-old, well, surely I wouldn't have the same demands on a 2-year-old. But sometimes... It's so tempting to expect things of our kids when they can't really measure up to those expectations. Brother, are your expectations of your child fair? Do they match where 
that child is? Sister, do you put unfair responsibilities that, that really would be hard for a, a seven-year-old or, or a 17-year-old to really follow through? Do you expect perfection from your child? When is the last time Jesus expected that of you? You know, it's so interesting working with students for so many years. One of the areas that I found was most damaging to them was the expectations of grades. Children naturally have those expectations. And particularly if one is bent to, to, to expectation of getting 100 on their, on their tests or in their classes, always getting A's. And a parent comes along and puts those demands on the child as well. You've got to get A's, straight A's. You know what you're teaching your child by doing that? You're teaching them that they don't need Jesus. Here's what I mean. If you expect perfection and that's the standard, then that's what they're going to attain to. That's what they're going to strive towards. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that you'll never be perfect. In fact, there was one who came and who was perfect for you. And therefore, all you need, you don't need to be perfect. You need to just trust in him, the, the only one who is ever perfect. And so when we expect perfection, we are anticipating them never needing Jesus. How do you provoke your child to anger in those ways? How do you prod them? Well, Paul first gives that negative command, and as his, his style, he follows a negative with a positive. Look there at the text again, verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does it mean to train your, train your children in the Lord? Well, notice here, you, you have three things that, that a parent is to do. First, bring them up. The word that Paul uses there is the same word he uses in verse 29. Look at it there. Look at verse 29. But no one ever hated his own flesh, but brings it up. In other words, nourishes it. Nourishes. It's the same word that, that Paul uses to, to speak about the way we care for our own bodies, the way we nourish and feed ourselves and provide ourselves and train ourselves and seek to educate ourselves and grow in wisdom and knowledge. We are to do the same for our children. We are to love them with that aim in mind, to, to see that our training of a child, our rearing of children, is ultimately to nourish them, to bring them up, to lift them up in their wisdom and knowledge, to care for their minds as well as their souls. One of the greatest gifts that you will ever give to your child isn't the junk that you buy for them on Christmas, but you diligently bringing them up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. I hear from so many of you, senior saints, who tell me how you worked tirelessly over long, hard years of rebellious kids teaching your children about Christ. And then seeing, decades later, the fruit of those labors. 
Parents today, as you're teaching little Susie and Johnny, you know, and and reading them the Bible at at bedtime, it's hard to have that long-term view and see the effect that you're playing today and how it will change tomorrow. You might be in the midst of a rebellious season in your children's life, and and it seems so narrow and so short. It, It feels as if I've failed. This is why it's so helpful to have older brothers and sisters who can patiently tell us, look, it, it, it may look like you failed now, but just wait. The Lord may still do a work. Those seeds planted in their souls, all those gospel conversations you had with them, one day they may come. One day the repentance and faith may come. One day you keep praying towards that end. Brothers and sisters, this is why we want to regularly pray for parents in our congregation and for the children of our church. In those new printed directories you've got today, take them, pray for the parents. On the last page in there, you'll see a list of all the children. Take a day out of the month and pray for each of those children. Pray that they would come to faith in Christ. Pray that they would stop disobeying and obey their parents. Pray for a lifetime of obedience to the Lord in their lives. We're to bring our children up. Notice here in two ways. In the discipline. And training of the Lord. Look again. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul has two words he's using there. Really meaning closely to the same thing. But one is focused on correction. Warning. And the other on positive. Right? That just makes sense, right? Don't do this, do this. Warning, discipline. There's nothing wrong with godly discipline, right? The Bible makes clear that some forms of you know, spanking be okay, as long as it's not excessive. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that. That's, we're going to leave to conscience. You, you decide how you're doing that. But sitting in time out, discipline. Some sort of response, teaching your child. You know, it's, it surprises me when I talk to parents who don't discipline their children. <laughs> like, why would you do that to that poor child? Um, discipline. Now, again, we want to use care and caution here. We want to make sure that we're not overly burdensome, but that we are corrective in our instructions. That we do so in a way that's uplifting. We also see here in the text that, that we're to instruct we are to instruct. Now, now, Paul prefaces all of this with that phrase at the end, of the Lord. In other words, it is in the realm of spiritual teaching about Christ, and about following Christ. God has called us to instruct, to take personal responsibility for the formation of our, of our children. Fathers, do you see that as your responsibility? Mothers, do you see that as your responsibility? Friends, it starts with fathers, but both parents play a particularly important role in raising children. God has called parents as the primary disciple makers of their children's lives. Timothy Paul Jones says this, What you do for God beyond your home will typically not be greater than what you practice with God in your home. That's a good quote to read again. What you do for God beyond your home will typically not be greater 
than what you do for God in your home or practice with God. In other words, if the gospel, if, if Jesus only comes up in your conversation on, on Sundays, you've got a problem. Just this week, just this week, uh, I was uh, singing a hymn. It was, I think, Wednesday or something uh, in the morning. And uh, Henry called me out and he says, man, it ain't Sunday. Why are you singing hymns? You know, he, he said, what, what's going on here? Uh, it was funny, right? But it reminded me that, 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 that if we only practice following Jesus on Sundays, your kid will pick that up like that. Regularly in our homes, we need to be equipping our, our children. We need to be having a plan with purpose. Repetition is key. A repetition in our lives where we're repeatedly pointing them to Jesus. Repeatedly showing them your sin. Repeatedly showing them their sin. Repeatedly telling them that Jesus is the only way. It must be intentional. Brothers and sisters, our parenting must be intentional. Here's what I mean. Every moment is a teaching moment. Every moment. Every moment. When, when, when Johnny is running around like a maniac at Target, this is a moment not for you to blow your mind, but for you to be intentional. When that teenager is telling you some rebellious things and uh, not wanting to, you could say, you know what? Let me tell you about, about why Jesus came for rebels just like me. And that's why it has to be transformative. Brothers and sisters, we must parent with the gospel in view. Do you ever confess your sins to your child? I mean, when you sin against them? You do sin against them. You know that, right? Those harsh words. That abusive language. That harsh punishment that didn't fit the crime. Do you ever take a moment when the Spirit convicts you to go to your child and say, will you forgive me? I sinned against you. I, this is why I need Jesus. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Do you help your child understand that when they disobey, that it's really not about you and your pride, but it's really about God? And their ultimate rebellion against him. And that they need Jesus. And that's why Christ came. Do you help them understand that when they fail to obey. That God doesn't cast them away. That there are miserable failures. And they'll never measure up to your standards. Or do you, you know, God has some pretty high standards too. In fact, they're so high. And so exhaustive that I've broken most of them. But instead of making me and forcing me to some sort of subservient labor, God sent his son to die the death I deserve for disobeying all of his commands. Transformative. Brothers and sisters, let's aim at their hearts, not merely their minds. Christian Smith a scholar who was paid by the University of Notre Dame to conduct a survey. He was given $4 million to, to do this extensive research. 
And in this research, he went out and interviewed teenagers in our own culture who you parented. And he interviewed these children. And the results of that, he, he came back with these three words to describe our current culture in the teenage culture. Here it is. Moral, therapeutic, deist. Our children are moral. Don't do this and do this. They're therapeutic. Do what makes you feel good. And they're deist. They see God as Santa. Who will give them what they want when they want it. But otherwise don't need much for them. Friends, where do you think they learned that behavior? But from the moral therapeutic deist in their own homes. That being their parents. We must as Christians aim and teach with the gospel in mind. Your children need to hear about Christ, but why Christ came and died. Friends, regularly pray for your children and for their salvation, and then trust God's sovereign plan for their life. Some good questions for you to ask this morning, parents. Am I investing adequate resources of time and emotional energy into my family? Fathers, are you more about making the next deal or making the big bucks or about investing in your children and in their life? You can talk to some of the older fathers in here and they'll tell you, look, I messed this up when I was younger and I cared more about my professional career than I did about rearing my children in the fear of the Lord. Fathers, are you taking primary responsibility for the discipleship of your home? Of your children? Do you understand that you will stand before Jesus on this? Let that sink into your mind. You may be getting by with it now. There's coming a day when you will stand before Jesus. And his question to you will be, Father, Mother, where were you? What were you doing? Was catching up on the Netflix series really that important? Was working all those extra hours so you guys could go on that wonderful vacation worth it? Do my children have high respect for those who are older? Do you teach your children to respect the next generation or despise them? We live in a culture again that wants to get old people out of the way. They're clogging the roads. They're clogging my, you know, they're just taking too much time away from me. One of the things we want to cultivate as, as parents and as, as a congregation is to celebrate those who are older, not just merely tolerate them. Does your family engage in consistent times of worship in your home? Look, there, there's been much, I think, burdened on families on this particular area. And I just want to pastorally help you here. Set aside a time, whether it be at the dinner table, eat together as a family. And honestly, you need to be doing this regardless if you have children in your home or not. If you're single, you need to do this. If you're married and, and, and no kids at home or, or wherever you are, do this. Cultivate time where you talk about Jesus. Cultivate time where you pray. So as a family, 
talk about Jesus. Ask them how their day was and listen with an ear to where Jesus could be a part of that conversation. Open your Bible and read a passage of Scripture and talk about it. That's all you have to do. You don't need to do some weird, creepy, you know, let's all sit around the table and do, you know, some high religious stuff. Just start simple. Hey, can I pray with you right now? Hey, let's pray real quick as a family. Is there something that we can pray about? Yeah, you know, I'm really, I feel feel like, you know, nobody likes me at school. It's really hard. Okay, let's pray about that. Or open the passage of scripture. Your kids can't go anywhere. They're captive. You lock them in the house. Read the Bible to them. Read a story in the, in the scriptures and then say, hey, you know, what does that mean? And how can, that, how can we do this in our lives? We print the bulletins each week for a reason. And it's not because we don't know how to turn on a computer or a projector. It's because I want you to take these home, open them up, read them together, sing them if you can as a family. Use them in your, in your daily lives together. You might not do that every day. It might not mean you're, you're spending an hour of worship at home. But surely two minutes is better than nothing. And little by little, you can do more, do different things. But do something. Engage in times consistently with your children. Am I building my child towards an eternal goal? Again, aiming for the gospel in their lives. This morning, you might be proud and think, man, you know, I got this down. I got this parenting thing down. Well, in God's grace, one day, that pride will be crushed. And you'll see your need. Parent, do you see your need for Jesus? Honestly. You probably don't see your need for Jesus any more than when you're parenting. It's hard. And sister, this morning, you might be ready to give up. Brother, you might be done. You're done, exhausted. Your kids won't obey. They don't want Jesus. They don't want anything to do with God. And you just grow weary. I remember hearing a conversation. Two godly brothers, very wise. One brother was sharing about the things going on in his home and how his kids were, were just, just, it was awful. And that other godly brother responded to the one in need and said, I don't have any answers, but I will pray for you. Sometimes we don't need, you know, to come in and help and fix people's parenting. We just need to pray for them. Pray that God would do a work in the life of their child. Pray that God would transform their hearts. Pray that they would come to know Jesus. Sister, it will be okay. It will get easier. Brother, it will get easier. God has a plan. He is sovereign. Trust Him. Trust His goodness. Parents, Nurture your children by raising them to know Christ. The gospel transforms our relationships. 
Cast your weakness on him. Find your strength in this community. Brothers and sisters, let us lift up the parents in our church by praying for them. Let us pray for our children. Let us adopt these children as our own if, and raise them up to follow Christ. In all these ways, this is how we are a family as a congregation for God's glory and our good. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that we would be better children. Even as adult children, thinking in ways that we can continue to honor our parents by caring for them in their age, by calling them, by talking to them, by letting them know that we love them and are thankful for all their, all their hard years of parenting our rebellious hearts. Maybe perhaps just thankful for that parent who led us to Christ. Father, I pray for that brother or sister that's burdened this morning by their child's rebellious heart. It's so easy to take their lives for granted and to think that everything will turn out well. I just pray that you would lift them up, encourage them, that they would find Christ as their only hope. I pray for that mom that's ready to give up because the child is unbearable. Pray, Lord, also for the children of our congregation, that they all would come to know Christ. I pray that none of them would know the rebelliousness that so many of us know in our own lives. I pray that for my children. I pray that for the children of our members, that their testimony would be, I've not known a day where I've not loved Jesus. Let that be the testimony of our children's lives. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we think